Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. If you have your Bibles, the book of Acts this morning, chapter 2. The book of Acts, chapter 2. We'll take verses 14 through 21. And if you have your Bibles open to that portion of Scripture, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Beginning at verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahweh. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. Please be seated. Down to business. Uh, That's the title of this morning's message. It's an idiom in our, our language. Uh, let's not for a moment suppose that after the Gospels and after the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, that somehow the book of Acts is anticlimactic. It is an exciting book. It is the book that tells us about what Jesus was preparing his disciples to do. He, he had invested in these men. And now it was time for them to apply that investment. The teachings, the the lessons, the, the, the things they experienced and witnessed, and it is no different for us. And I say this because I, I think sometimes there are some believers that feel the thrill is gone when you get to the book of Acts after the Lord ascends. But again, it tells the story of the apostles getting busy, getting down to business. Luke chapter 19, verse 13, So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. Well, he's never retracted that. It's a parable that he's giving, but the parable, it is uh, fully applicable Uh, to the believers, to the church. And uh, Peter, in this section of Scripture, is going to unlock the witness of Christ to the world because of Pentecost. And I don't know that a lot of Christians appreciate that that Pentecost, at Pentecost, the church was born. Before Pentecost, uh, they were nothing but, uh, well, I don't want to make it sound that way. It sounds like I'm... Uh, almost insulting, but before Pentecost, they were just Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. They believed their Messiah had come and he was Jesus. 
But after Pentecost, things begin to change, and they change, they, they evolve. It was not radical in its outreach to the world. And without a personal Pentecost, we have nothing to say to the world. As we've learned from chapter 1, before Pentecost, before the, that, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the believers were just uh, really amongst themselves, and they, they did not reach out. And that all is going to change in this chapter. It's changing, changing in this section that we have before us. Ezekiel the prophet. God was sending him to a people who were under judgment, and they were under judgment because of their idolatry. And that idolatry brought all different types of sins with it. That's what idolatry does. And Ezekiel had great vision of spiritual things in the first chapter. And then God follows up. You see, God was saying, it's not enough, Ezekiel, that I give you a vision. You have to do something with this. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Spirit entered me, and he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, very personal, <laughs> a lot of me's in there. Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. And of course, then God develops the prophet in his ministry, a quite dramatic ministry. But as God filled his Old Testament prophet to speak to Israel, he fills the New Testament church to speak to the lost world. And this book of Acts is telling us the story of how it began. It is to our foundation as a church, not as, as a local church, the universal church, which then translates to the local church also. And here at this time in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit had amazed and perplexed the people with his dramatic entry. The Pentecostal crowds did not know what was going on. Look back at verse 12 of Acts chapter 2. And there we read, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. So the Holy Spirit shows up with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The, the apostles are speaking in uh, their praises to God, and it's being understood by those with various languages. This is quite a miraculous moment. But some felt that they were drunk. They did not understand what was going on. Verse 14 now. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. So that remark, that remark from verse 13 about them being drunk, they're full of new wine, uh, it was ignorant and it was insulting. Whether it was intended to be so or not, uh, you know, he was accusing them of being drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. Peter was not going to ignore this, and he did not ignore it. And it is significant, it says, but Peter standing up. This Peter is now endued with power from on high, as a witness. And he is unlocking the truth. The same Peter who once denied his Lord is now empowered to stand up and tell those who are scoffing about the truth 
what the truth is. And Peter really is going to scoff at the scoffers. Come on, it's 9 o'clock. Don't be silly. It's it's going to be how he, he says it. So by God's spirit, again, the man who denied the Lord three times is now preaching Jesus Christ. This is the first gospel declaration to sinners, to lost sinners, of the church. To this point, there has been no preaching to the world, as, as I mentioned earlier. And this is important because maybe you're a Christian and you really don't have a heart to preach. You feel whatever, but you're not excited about sharing Christ. You need a personal Pentecost. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Christians have preached Christ under persecution. So you cannot say, well, you know, I've had trouble in my life and things are really going not my way and I'm just really struggling. I don't know in the New Testament where that gives a pass. Uh, and it's not a rebuke. It is an encouragement. That if the early Christians could preach under persecution, we should be able to preach also. Something about that in season and out season that should be appealing to us. And so Peter's going to stand up. He's going to make his declaration. He's going to e- explain this phenomenon. But he's going to do it from Scripture. He's not just going to give his opinion about this. He's going to give God's word about this. To be immersed in the Holy Spirit is to be excited about Christ, my relationship with Christ, and the potential for those who have not this relationship to Christ to get one. And perhaps God will use me. It, is, um, it goes beyond commitment to Christ. It has that excitement, that fire, and when it is lacking, we notice it. We notice it in ourselves, we notice it in others. Pentecost is a big deal. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Again, he's getting down to business. This is what he's been prepped for. This is why he has been immersed in the Spirit on this day, just a little while ago, for, for these things that are taking place. He is addressing Jewish worshipers at the temple, on the temple ground. There were niches all over for the uh, rabbis to take their students and teach. Jesus taught at the temp- on the temple ground often. And so there were these places where the, the apostles got together, and then when the Spirit comes in that giant courtyard, there was space to house the multitudes that were responding to this phenomenon that Peter is talking about. So where he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, uh, we, it was Peter who wrote later, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and reverence or meekness and respect. And he's doing that. They're scoffing him, but he has already sanctified the Lord in his heart. Because you don't get to quote this, the, the prophet Joel like Peter is going to quote him without sanctifying the Lord in your heart. He's been in the word. He picks a passage of scripture that is quite complicated. It's not a basic section of scripture. It is predictive prophecy. And Peter is going to open this up. And when he says, always be ready, we see him in action. He's now ready. He wasn't ready until the Spirit came, though. As close as he was to Christ, he was not ready without the Holy Spirit 
without him being immersed in the Holy Spirit. And that comes through the cross, through the resurrection, through the ascension of Christ. And he adds this with meekness and respect. And that's what he does. He doesn't say, no, you're drunk. <laughs> you know, he doesn't lash out at the guy. Who do you think you are? He, he says, no. And he reasons from the scripture. It says, with the eleven. Well, I believe the scripture points to the, this is the, the twelve apostles. Peter uh, makes up the twelve from this number eleven, of course. As verse 3 and verse 37, those verses highlight that it is the apostles that were receiving this initial outpouring of the Spirit. Peter is not alone here. That is helpful. There are those in Christianity that fear or resist pastoral authority, and this is not biblical. I think it'd be better to support it than to resist it. And if you say, well, you know, I come from a church where they, the pastors abused the authority. Well, I've seen Christians in the pew abuse Christianity. That's no excuse. We can't say, okay, I, I got stung and now I'm out. That, you know, in boxing, that would, you, you would be accused of having a glass jaw. You know, one hit to the chin and you're done. You can't take a punch. And we're, we Christians, we're supposed to be able to take some heat and dependence upon the Lord. Exodus chapter 17, verse 12, I think illustrates what I'm talking about very nicely. Because if the church did not support these apostles, it would have been the end of the church when the apostles died. But they did support them. As much trouble as, as they had to uh, confront or face in the church, the church prevailed. And we being here this morning, as are many other churches, are proof of that. But Exodus chapter 12, Moses' hands. This is when Joshua's on the battlefield. He's, he's fighting. Them, he's, he's fighting. And Moses is overseeing the battle. And when Moses lifts his arms up, Joshua prevails. When Moses' arms get tired and he brings them, them down to rest, then Joshua's forces get pushed back. And Moses recognizes this, and so does Aaron and a man named Hur, who is with them. And this is what they do. They formulate a response, a solution. They come up with something to win the fight. But they know they've got to support their leader. Exodus 17, Moses' hands became heavy so that they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. One man can't do it. You need your Joshua's, you need your troops, you need your Aaron and her, you need Moses. It is the body of Christ. And it works better, it is more, it is victorious when it works together. Uh, this, the 11, is, is with Peter making 12, is not a little statement. Let this be known to you. Now he's responding to, responding to that ignorant statement. He is going to correct, he is explaining, and he is going to encourage all at the same time. That's preaching. To be able to convict, to rebuke, and to exhort. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy, this is ministry. This is pastoral ministry, Timothy. 
But it doesn't excuse the individual Christian either. He says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God, perhaps, will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And that's what Peter is doing. And now when I say, uh, I mentioned that this does not excuse the Christian. We are all, pastor or not, supposed to, in humility, when the Holy Spirit opens the door, as he's doing here at Pentecost... We are to correct those who are in opposition, if perhaps God will grant them repentance, that they may know the truth. Now, remember now, after the Spirit came upon them, and before, we don't read about them just running around the temple ground preaching to people. They let the Holy Spirit open the door. Peter is going to reinforce his sermon with Scripture. He's going, as I mentioned, cross-reference Joel the prophet, because he himself is now a man of the word. We're going to really get to that in chapter 6. But before that, rereading what we've been, I've been saying over the last few sessions in Acts. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, Luke writes this. And he, Christ, opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Which, of course, presupposes they weren't getting it. And as we go through the gospel, we say, what is wrong with these guys? Well, the Lord changed all that. And now we're seeing it in action as Peter gets down to business. Acts chapter 6. Now this is in Acts chapter 6. The church, the Christians came up with what they thought was a good idea. Which evidently failed because it, it just falls off the pages. But the Peter stood up and said, listen, this is good stuff what you're saying. Choose from among you those who are worthy for this ministry, who have a good reputation, a good witness, a filled with the Spirit. Let them oversee this. But, and he goes on to say, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So he's now this dynamo in the Word. And it is, uh, it, well, imagine what would have happened if he was not. What would have happened to the first church if they did not fill themselves with the scripture. You would have had a bunch of leaders who didn't know the word of God. And when the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a ditch. Peter says, and heed my words. He invites this multitude that he's preaching to, who are not Christians. He invites them to act on solid preaching. It was Peter also who wrote in Second Peter chapter 1, we have the prophetic word confirmed. We've got the prophecies of Christ. We've got the evidences that he's fulfilled these prophecies and no one else has. And then he says, which you do well to heed. We have got the scripture. We've got the truth. We can back up what we're preaching unlike any other religion on earth. And you do well to heed. And so here he's telling them, even those two different Greek words, the same meaning. Heed my words. Verse 15 for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So debunking their theory. As we have to, it's just, it just when, do, when, do, when do the evolutionists decide they're going to be honest with themselves? You, you know, you don't need Christianity to debunk evolution. You need science. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> so he's appealing to their sense of reason. 
in their sense of honesty. Well, if you're witnessing to somebody who's not going to be rational and not, go- and not going to be honest, there's really not much more you can do. But they are. They are listening. And he's reasoning with them. And they're honest with themselves, evidently, because we know the outcome of this. We won't get it this morning, but it's a long sermon. (laughs) He could have shortened it if he listened to me. Anyway, uh, the Holy Spirit often calls us to explain his work. Or else, why does he need witnesses? Why does he need servants? He, He wants us involved. We are to interact with him as we interact with lost souls and saved souls. And just in case you haven't figured this out, saved souls can be sometimes more of a pain in the neck. Did I put too much emphasis on that P? Did I pop that P too much? They can be more of a pain in the neck than unbelievers. Uh, it shouldn't be this way. And of course, then you had add to that the, the, the make-believers. They're not real Christians, but they use all the Christian language. They say they are, but their fruits dispute it. They lock it down. No way. This guy can be a believer. The Lord, it's for you to decide that finally. But uh, i got to be careful with this person. And, and that is such as life. Anyway, he says, as you suppose. There is no way that these people could have understood without help. No one stumbles into salvation. Yeah, I was just drinking a milkshake, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. Uh, I mean, you know, that, that does not happen. At some point, there has to be boots on the ground. There has to be engagement. Even Paul, who was saved miraculously on the road to Damascus, he got clobbered by Stephen's sermon. That sermon eviscerated Paul's doctrine. He was still seething threats of violence. He was coming against the church because he was taken apart by truth. And he didn't know how to get out of that. And God helped him with that. Well, uh, again, Peter, instead of being offended, he reasons from the scripture. He did not let the scoffers have the last say. It didn't like how oh, they think we're drunk. All right, that's, let them believe whatever. They, well, sometimes you have to do that. Not this time. And it sure helps to know when it's a time to say, you know what, I'm not giving you a pass on that one. That I'm going to take you to task on. It, uh, it is certainly uh, beneficial to us to be engaged, to be in the game, and to learn when to be led and when, uh, when to be led. When the Lord leads us to sit still, and when the Lord leads us to speak. However, there's a big caveat that goes with this, a big warning. If you have not love, what is your problem? I ask for all of us. The apostle said, if I don't have love, I I am nothing. And there are a lot of Christians, they want to reach the lost, but they're just the most loveless, judgmental, self-righteous, annoying people. And you got to love them. Right? I'm not asking you. (laughs) And I'm sure there's somebody that says something like that about you. (laughs) How could they say it about me? There's no way. There's everything to love about me. I mean, you know, isn't it? 
It's, it's eye-opening when someone tells you, yeah, you know, I, I, I thought you were a jerk. What? Why would you think that? And, and you know, it causes you to go back, what did I do to make this person think that I was this or that when I'm not that way? That's my mom. <laughs> so Peter says, don't be silly. This, incidentally, is the hour of prayer when the morning sacrifices were being offered. They had been slaughtered earlier, but by the time they gave I me, mean, this is a, 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 a big event, every morning, the morning sacrifices, and at Pentecost, predominantly, men are there at the temple, uh, more so than, than at other times, because of, this was a mandated holiday for the men, three of them. God said, you know, some of you men, you just will never go to church. So I'm going to mandate three of the holidays that you've got to be there, and maybe something will click in your noggin. Uh, well, uh, verse 16 I shouldn't be too hard on that because if I weren't preaching, I wouldn't be here. It's a joke. It's a, of course I'd be here. i got to answer to the Lord and judge whoever else is up here. <laughs> Verse 16. But this is what the, was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, I love that they're listening to Peter. And this is a nobody from Galilee. Uh, the, this is radical. Uh, this is an act of God. He's saying to them, why are you surprised at the miraculous? You're supposed to be covenant people. The prophet Joel, his prophecies are loaded with spiritual features that belong to our faith. Why should you be surprised at this? It's sort of like when they were praying for Peter to be released from prison and he knocks on the door and they don't believe he's released. And it's just, you know... I don't know if I would do better, but you can't miss the lesson that the Holy Spirit preserves with such records in our scripture. God covered this topic, oh, 800 to 500 years ago through this prophet Joel. Again, Peter is giving them scripture, not opinion. And common enough in scripture are partial fulfillments and future fulfillments when it comes to predictive prophecy, which eventually is fulfilled at some point. And this is one of the prophecies in the scripture that has a partial fulfillment here at Pentecost and then at the end of the age, and we'll get into some of that this morning. He is not, Peter is not asserting that Joel's prophecy is completely fulfilled because the evidence is against that. And we have no reason to charge Peter with this. Was he showing off his knowledge of the word? I don't think so, but it's cute to ponder it a little bit. But here's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And not a fulfillment, but a critical point, a critical moment in the lives of the apostles who are for the first time ministering this way, who are putting to work what Christ put into them, and for the recipients, a great multitude of which will be saved on this, in this morning, on the morning of this event. Consistent with Joel's revelation is that God is doing here at Pentecost 
what he said he would do. This is, Peter says, a deposit. This is the first layer of fulfillment. And evidently, his audience, who would have been familiar with Joel, are agreeing. Because there are no hecklers. Uh, Maybe some walked away, who knows. But we know a great multitude of them stayed for the sermon. All of it. And then they took heed to the sermon. And so Peter's saying, why is it so hard to accept this fact that God is pouring out his Holy Spirit as you see, as he said he would? This is that. Look again at verse 16. That just one, that little, that, those three words. This is that. He's connecting this event with what the prophet said. Once the church is raptured, that means public ministry according to the scripture. Because the apostate church will be left behind to join Antichrist. The ecumenical church will join Antichrist. But the true church is begun. Uh, because if it was not taken away, it would, have, it would be slaughtered. And that's why Christ said, I'm going to spare you the wrath that is coming on the whole earth. And that wrath of not only the hatred towards Christianity, which the two witnesses will experience, but uh, uh, the, the wrath of cataclysmic events in nature, global warming, but not God, uh, man-made, God-made. So once the church is rapture, further outpourings of the Holy Spirit will unfold. That's what Peter is saying. And all the work of the two witnesses and 144,000 Jews and the nation of Israel finally coming to repentance, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's according to the prophecy of Joel. And Peter again is saying, this is layer one. This is God now, reach, he will reach the Gentiles with this and the Jews alike. It culminates in the Messiah's kingdom. After the day of the Lord, the wrath of the Lord, and the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy occurs then. The fulfillment of what Peter is now reciting to them, verse 17. I think there's more excitement coming. And I think as Christians, if if you're not excited about the Lord using you, then you might be just a little bit too centered on this life. I don't, I don't want to sound harsh because life can throw at us some nasty stuff. And yet, uh, we are called still to shine as beacons. Verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men dream dreams. And it shall come to pass. The Old Testament prophets knew nothing about the New Testament church. They heard of the New Covenant, but they progressed no further. Paul points this out in 1 Corinthians 2. The eye is not seen, the ear is not heard. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about the development of this New Covenant that we call the New Testament. Testament means covenant. Uh, this new arrangement of God that is a binding arrangement. And so packed into Joel's prophecy are future events to this moment that Peter is speaking, and events right at the moment. So you have this dual and separate fulfillment by over 2,000 years so far, and still counting. The portion fulfilled is the Holy Spirit indwelling believers. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 39. We're in Acts 2, verse 39. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So Peter is saying this outpouring of the Spirit that Joel talked about, this first layer is for everybody who is in Christ. It's available to every believer. When Paul gets up to Ephesus in chapter 19, he's going to come across believers in Christ who aren't filled with the Spirit. And he's going to, to bless them. But they, they weren't excited. They were believers intellectually. Uh, they got it, but there was this one feature missing. And uh, we'll wait till chapter 19. He says here, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Well, the last days began with the coming of Christ. You can cross-reference Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God in these last days, who spoken by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, also a reference to the last days coming with Christ. We live in the last of the last days as we look at the technology. You know, when God, when man was building the Tower of Babel, God looked down and said, now, you know, nothing's going to be held up from them. They're going to just continue to develop to their own destruction. And God interfered. Well, now the Tower of Babel has been rebuilt. If you uh, metaphorically look at it this way, man has now hurdled the barriers of language. He has crossed over mountains and oceans and rivers, and man has now come together without God. And they're building their tower of technology and their tower of whatever else that they want to do to the point where they're messing with, uh, you know, creation, uh, artificial intelligence, which really has been around a long time. <laughs> you read some books. Anyway, uh, it, it, God, at some, man, it can't be sustained. The, the, how they're messing with... Uh, Unborn, you know, the human body and all sorts of, um, the words are escaping me. Me, that means the Lord said, no, you need to finish up on chapter 2. Don't go to Genesis right now. We see the Frankensteins, what they're doing in laboratories, what they're attempting to do in laboratories. The human race cannot sustain this. And I think that's just a rational uh, view. Even unbelievers are saying the same thing. Uh, anyway... Uh, here in the last days that we live, he says, I will pour out my spirit and that Greek word epi upon all flesh. Of course, it's not happened. That remains to be fulfilled. Otherwise, we would all be saved, but it will happen. Uh, the, the remnant of Israel that comes through the tribulation, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of social status. God will God has made his spirit available. Joel's prophecy cannot be fulfilled until after the day of the Lord, as it's coming to an end. Uh, Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8, tells us that only a remnant will survive of the Jewish people in the great tribulation period. But that remnant will be converted to Christ. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says Yahweh, Zechariah 13.8, two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, and one-third shall be left in it. If we like it or not, that's what the scripture says. 
And but <clears throat> Zechariah 12, and I will pour on the house of David, the Hebrew people, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look to me, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And there's a spirit going to be poured out in the last days as Joel's prophecy is being completely fulfilled. Uh, these things will, will, they won't happen instantly in every situation. Some of it will. A lot will be going on and taking place. The main point is these Old Testament prophets, they're right. Uh, he says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. They will proclaim. They will speak forth God's word. Prophecy is the, the movement of spiritual information. It is not limited to prediction. I mean, there is that <clears throat> type of prophecy that predicts. There is a type when the Bible uses the word prophecy. It also uses it when it speaks of praising God and or singing songs preaching and or reading of the word of God. These are all forms of prophecy as used in scripture. So there is foretelling, telling the future, as Peter is doing here. He is saying, this is what the prophet spoke of. Your sons and your daughters will dream dreams. And he's quoting Joel. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 28 gives us an example of God foretelling, predicting the future. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, Yahweh has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the, of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against Yahweh. So, verse 17 of Jeremiah 28, Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. He predicted it. And that is direct prophecy also. He's saying, no, you, you are sinning. You are doing wrong. That's the direct part. Then he says, and here's what's going to happen. That's the predictive part. So Jeremiah is there foretelling and telling forth, speaking forth, as Peter is also doing here. Acts chapter 19. I mentioned the Ephesian Christians when Paul arrives, in verse 6, and Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Well, it would be a little far-fetched to think that when they came to Christ, they had all these predictions. And, you know, milk will be sold at a dollar a gallon. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, that's not in the context of Scripture at all. What is happening is they're praising God and uh, Quoting scripture more than likely because they, they were already believers. They were Jewish believers. Um, that's forth telling. We know in Psalm, First uh, Samuel chapter 10, is not Saul amongst the prophets? Well, what was Saul doing? He was singing with them. Praises to God. First Chronicles chapter 25 verse 1 really drills down on this. Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service some of the sons of Asaph, Haman, Jeduathun, who should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. Again, it would be kind of silly. Look, we want to tell everybody that, you know, milk's going down in its price, but we need to sing it to the people. That would just not be, I mean, you've got to use your head. 
but there they are singing to the Lord, and it is referred to as prophecy. So the, the context is everything. Edification. 1 Corinthians 14. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Um, again, I keep using the milk. You know, he's not saying, you know, I'm going to speak comfort to you. Milk's going to go even lower than a dollar a gallon. You know, I mean, that's not what's going on. There's, we prophesy in this, in this sense when we speak the word of God, when we encourage according to the scripture. Acts 21, verse 9. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. They're likely daughters that love to sing songs to the Lord and could sing. Uh, but again, to think that, oh, that's predictive prophecy again, is, um, I think, mis misguided uh, approach. Witnessing, Acts chapter 10, verse 43, to him all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And the, continue, the church continued to do this. Revelation 19.10, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So prophecy is the movement of spiritual information, spiritual things. It is not limited to foretelling or foretelling. It includes exhortation and joy and building up others. Uh, so Peter says here in verse 17, your young men shall see visions. Uh, who would object to this, I should ask? Who would say, no, 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 no. Whenever it's a prophecy, it's got to be a prediction. Well, then you got a problem with the referring to the prophesying with instruments. So anyhow, your young men shall see visions. It's God-given revelation while the person is awake. Your old men shall dream dreams. A revelation from God while the person is asleep. Visions for the young men watching. Dreams for the old men Resting. It's not gender specific. Old men and old women believers is the idea behind that. Verse 18. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And so uh, that belongs to the previous statement with the visions and dreams that they're filled with the spirit. And they're also speaking the things of God. Uh, Christian men and women. First Chronicles. Uh, pardon me. Corinthians. Chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Verse 23. And you belong to Christ. Ownership. Those are the men servants and the maid servants. The ones that are owned by Christ. By consent. Unless you're a Calvinist, it doesn't make a difference. You've been demanded to be a Christian and you've got nothing you can do about it. I don't believe in Calvinism. And I always hope my audience says, oh, what is that? And just leave it at that. I will pour out my spirit in those days. He's quoting the Hebrew prophet Joel um, throughout this. He's saying, you make room for the Holy Spirit, and he will make room for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a fact. That is a discovery also. You come to Christ, you're all excited about these things, and they're happening, and but your doctrine is not formed yet. You don't even know it's happening. You can't say, well, this is what the Bible's, because you're just a new Christian. When I came to Christ, I was just like loving the Lord, telling everybody, <coughs> prophesying. <clears throat> Again, not about milk, 
Say, man, I just, I've been reading the Bible. You've got to see what's in the Bible. I didn't know I was missing all this. Why didn't anybody tell me this? How come they were so busy lighting candles and walking around telling you that what was happening in the neighborhood? How come they weren't telling me about Jesus Christ? And so in that sense, I was prophesying. I was filled with joy. I'd weep. I'd laugh. I was so happy to be saved from the hell that I was going to. And uh, just, again, anyway, is not Rick amongst the prophets? Yeah, baby, I am. So, to open one's heart to Christ is a beautiful thing. To close it is to forfeit that beautiful thing. Is to forfeit his pouring forth, his giving, his pouring upon. And older Christians, don't get stale because you've been taking hits. Uh, that, that should work the other way around. Make those hits, turn them into to action. Get busy, be down to business, pray. I mean, there's just so much to do as Christians. And you younger Christians, all right. Younger Christians, you come to church, wake up now. And maybe it's this Wednesday night and it's Old Testament and some of it might be heavy duty. And you're going, huh, what, huh? Look it. If you are only celebrating Christ when you come to church in a church that goes verse by verse, you're going to miss it. You're going to be so out of shape that you can't keep up. And so the solution is, is have your devotions. It doesn't take much. I mean, the, the time it takes you to, you know, stare at a video game for 10 minutes, you could have been just having a, a paragraph of the scripture. And you will be amazed at how the Holy Spirit will take it from there. There will be times when he won't take it from there because he's doing something else with you. But open your heart to Christ. Don't think you're a Christian because your parents are a Christian. What about you? If your parents weren't Christian, does that mean you can't be a Christian? Of course not. It's, it comes down to a personal relationship with Christ. Uh, be People of the word. Matthew 13, 38. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. They just didn't believe it. You have to open that heart. And they shall prophesy. Be filled to speak forth. Uh, one more verse. 1 Corinthians 14. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 19. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor and smoke. These are catastrophic events that will be taking place just prior or, or prior to, throughout the tribulation period to the return of Christ. But this in particular is, is toward the end of that great tribulation period. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke is God's day of judgment and wrath on an antichrist world, Joel starts off by saying it's the day of the Lord. The wrath of the Lord is coming. That's how his prophecy starts off. And he develops it throughout. Uh, we're, not, we're not centered on saving the planet. As Christians, we are centered on saving souls. And it is okay to point that out to those who think that the earth is... Again, I don't get it. They're talking about the ice melting and we all getting flooded out. But to me, a scientific experiment is ice in a glass of water. I mean, when that ice melts, you, you, it's, it, it goes down. Am I missing something? Is there another law of ice melting that I don't know about? 
maybe you can help me with that. You go, well, this is different ice. It has polar bears on top of it. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems that, you know, you want to trust scientists, but you can't. Some of them you can. They give you facts. But others, they come along, you know, anyway. Verse, you know, butchers and scientists dress in the same kind of white coat, don't they? Think about it. Anyway, verse 20. I don't want to offend the butchers or or the scientists. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I am, I mean, he's just, verse 20. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. I don't want to see that. I don't want to live through that. I don't mind seeing it from heaven because I'll be above it all. But, uh, you know, some have put so much into this, the blood moon. Remember we went through that a few months ago, and and I'm sure they're not going to let it go. They're going to come back with it. Look, just preach the word. Love the lost. And love the saved, too. You're supposed to figure it out. that You know, some saved people are really hard to love. Anyway, these cataclysmic events going on, a demonstration of God's power and sovereignty, uh, the completion of Joel's prophecy, it's wrapping up, uh, taken in its fullness, the passage of Joel promises more to come. That's what Peter is saying. That's why he's quoting all of it. He's going to pour out his spirit. That's happening now. But there's more to come. And this is the first layer. There are other layers. How exciting. They knew that. Otherwise, they would have rejected what Peter was saying. And so Peter is saying, there's more beyond the church age. There's more to God's prophecies beyond this life. It is the identical power of God in action that is allowing these men to speak in tongues as they are and also wrap up the universe. Manifested at Pentecost, as preached by Peter. Look at me. Look with me at verse sixteen again. Uh, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and and so don't be surprised. He's saying the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Do you really? Do we really need a a, a lengthy exposition on that? I like just accepting that it's going to happen. And I won't suffer through it. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to see the sun turn to darkness. We need the sun. Uh, <laughs> Matthew, I know some of you are saying, what, what, is that, what is that? How does that fit in? Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And Jesus is saying, you think when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, it was dramatic? Watch and see what happens when I come back to earth. This is going to be dramatic. Verse 30 of Matthew 24. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It's going to be just incredible. Uh, the angelic activity, the saints that come with him, uh, the, the judgments, the remnants, the conversion of the nation of Israel, all the Jews, all Israel will be saved, said Paul. So these exciting things, they're, they're beyond study in, in some ways. It's just um, it's awe 
it's, it's awe-inspiring. Verse 21, almost done. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. So Peter says, watch and see. Whoever comes to Christ will be saved. Now notice that's an Old Testament uh, reference to, to God, Yahweh. And Peter is applying it to Jesus Christ. As, as we know, Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And he sends his messengers, us, to do it. If you remember nothing else this morning other than the price of milk thing, uh, remember this. You've got to have love. You've got to have love. You cannot be just caught up in the culture and the silly, petty things of the world. Uh, anyway, the New, New Testament church is to be down to business. Uh, I close with this verse from Ezekiel chapter 3. We're <clears throat> focusing on when Peter said, heed my words. Moreover, he said to me, God speaking to Ezekiel the prophet, son of man, Receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. And that the, the construction of the Hebrew is, and how Peter used the word in verse 16, is to act upon what you've, you've, you've heard. And that's, that's for all of us. Let's pray. Our Father... Again, I would ask that every Christian be very excited about the actions of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, it shows up by, or in the actions of your servants, and not just the apostles. The first Christians, the first church, the first believers in the Spirit coming upon them and filling them. The first believers that Jesus indeed is the Christ, the Messiah. May we see ourselves in the stories that unfold. May we admire those things that are very special and peculiar to Christianity. And may we do business until you come with the things you invest in us. If you've been listening, you've never opened your heart up to Christ. I could lie to you. I can say, don't worry about that. There are other ways to get to heaven. That would be a lie. I would be doing you an injustice. There's only one way to heaven. And that is through the Savior. To call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is to open the door of salvation. If you would like to be saved from the judgment that is to come upon all who have broken the commandments of God. If you would like to be saved from that judgment, then you need to be delivered. You need a Savior. You have to call on the Lord Jesus Christ. You must open your heart. If you're listening now and you've not opened your heart to Christ, you have a chance to do it now. If you make this prayer in earnest, God will receive you. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments, and I come to you, and I ask you to forgive me. No one else loves me like you do. No one else is, has the power that you have. No one else is able to forgive me a sinner 
and welcome me into heaven for all eternity. And I give my life to you right here and right now. Now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they act upon it. May they not be ashamed of it. May they come forward when invited. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.